hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Places Will Go show. Again, very privileged to have a fantastic guest on. Uh, Matt Bushby, welcome to the show. Hi Mark, lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Fantastic to have you on. We were just talking about um, the John Lewis Christmas ad might come up in conversation. So it's that time of year again. We're going into the feeding frenzy of Christmas advertising. Let me tell you a little bit about Matt before we get going. So Matt's CMO of Rightmove, um, just transitioned from Just Eat. So that's an interesting point in time to talk to somebody, transitioning from one massive job to another. Uh, back in the day in the past, uh, Matt's worked at Leisure Links, uh, marketing manager. That was VC-backed. Interesting to have that perspective. Friends Reunited, uh, head of dating products. Definitely need to know more about that. Um, and then six years at Just Eat, good stint, UK and Ireland marketing director. And, and clearly were there during a time when it exploded through the pandemic. Um, so um, what else to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I've met Matt a couple of times uh, in real life. Um, actually, sort of bookending the pandemic, we're, we were at, the, at an event at the O2. I think that was like the very, very first event opening up after the pandemic. And um, so from what I know of Matt, he's, he's quite calm. He's quite collected and, and very focused. But there's like a, there's a burning desire under the hood there. I think a sort of burning ambition, but in a very good way. Um, so we'll get into all of that. Um, maybe even find out a little bit about Snoop Dogg uh as well so uh anyway great to have you on the show matt no it, as i say really excited to be on here I, th- I think the um we did bookend the pandemic in a sort of strange enough way although it's all become a little bit of a blur quite what's happened over the last three years but, but no pleasure to be here and, and, and looking forward to the conversation hey awesome matt look uh absolutely absolute brilliant from my perspective as well let us get right in here and now look mark you alluded to it i'm gonna pick on it right Snoop Dogg. I mean, amazing, right? Like what an amazing sort of um, spot to be in. I know I was watching a, a video earlier where you talk, we were talking about the campaign, but more than anything, I'd love to know. I mean, what was it like working with him? Is, is he a cool guy? Like, Give us the lowdown. It, it was a, it's a fascinating one. And it's really interesting when you change jobs, um, what you get asked. And I think what, what I tended to get asked over the course of the last six or seven years would, would broadly two things one of which was why does my pizza never turn up on time and the other was um what's Snoop Dogg like <laughs> and that was it, it's an incredible moment to be in um but it, but it comes with a, a very frank and honest admission which I didn't meet Snoop Dogg um but we so the team went out to team went out to the states just before lockdown and it was literally they they were pretty much the last flight out of the States before, um, before COVID. 
and it was it part it was the the sort of global team at Just Eat, so uh, Lady called Susan O'Brien um, and her guys, and we'd gone through this amazing process where we'd we'd kind of seen the 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 germ of an idea which had sort of started us off, and as as you guys will know, and I'm I'm sure lots of people listening will know, you get pitched lots of ideas and you get pitched the talent in that idea. And then very rarely does the talent ever turn out to either be available or want to do it. Um, so we all sort of took it with a pinch of salt in the first instance. Um, and then at one point or other, McCann, um, who are our creative agency, said, no, he's in and he, he wants to do it. And not only does he want to do it, but this is the first draft of the song that's been recorded. And, um, and again, you kind of, in those circumstances, usually there's a fairly cringy moment where somebody plays a song or or you hear something for the first time. But it it was it was pretty much the song that ended up in the ad, and it was incredible. And it sort of um, uh, the care and attention that was spent on it, and the the role that it played in what we were doing became really important. Now there there were lots of snoop stories from the set, and I'm far too discreet to tell any of those. But um, the <laughs> The, the what it did i think at the time was something elliptic we launched it in may 2020 um and if you remember all the way back we're just talking about pandemics it was certainly one of those moments where we needed a little bit of a lift and a little bit of joy and it, it hopefully delivered a little of that well um first off uh, you, you never not delivered the pizza uh, to the evans household <laughs> Because um, we live, we, we're slightly out of jurisdiction, you know, we're slightly out of town, and therefore we don't we don't have actually have just eat our way. But um, Snoop, Dogg, I, I uh, heard a podcast from Suzo, Suzo Susan O'Brien, shout out to her, that um, he he fully let into it and wrote a lot of the lyrics and really, uh, you know, fully participated. And it's probably sort of a, a career moment, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, not least because it coincided with the pandemic. So let's let's go there a little bit. I mean, it was. Uh, you know, everyone's stuck in at home. Uh, restaurants are shut. T- talk us about the the, you know, the white knuckle ride of all that. Well, I think, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this, but to start off with, it it was yeah. I, I guess a, a white knuckle ride is exactly right because we didn't have a playbook. There was there was no way of sort of working this out. And I remember one of the team, I hope somewhat naively, said to me what did you do last time? And I think last time was the Spanish flu. So I didn't, as grey as I am, and you might not be able to see me on the podcast, I, I wasn't there for the Spanish flu. So um, it was it was one of those moments, I think, we saw probably, if we look back now, something a little unexpected. So our demand dropped off a cliff at the, in the first instance from a Just Eat perspective. And do you remember when people were buying toilet roll and pasta? Um on mass, it was, it was pretty much that they were they were just stocking up and they were eating that pasta and um, and basically hunkering down and didn't really want to make contact with anybody. So we dropped twenty percent um, overnight and were kind of thinking, right, what are all the contingencies we need to make to do this? Then almost two weeks later, on a sort of sixpence, the business flipped and demand suddenly started to go up and right to your point about closed restaurants though mark this happened at the same time that half the restaurant supply in the uk closed down so you had this big 
growing burgeoning demand without necessarily the supply to fulfill it. And that was when the role of marketing became really interesting because actually we didn't want any more demand. We couldn't cope with any more demand. We were kind of breaking the engine by putting more demand in. So we took our money and we took our efforts and sort of turned them more into how did we support the industry and the communities? So we did a big support package for our restaurants. We, um, we did a lot of work with charities, with children in need, with, um, uh, with ITV, Get Britain Talking, with various different charities like Food Cycle, um, who were helping to feed people at the time. And that was quite a deliberate effort to say, we need to play, we're a market leader, we need to play a part in our community. And we kind of turned marketing on its head a bit there. But that evolved, and it, everything happened so quickly. And it was, the Snoop one was a really interesting moment, I think, because when we launched Snoop, we, we had the ad from the start of lockdown right from the start of lockdown but it was trying to work out when was our um biggest challenge so i'd love to say it was an absolutely precise data-driven exercise in how do we get this to work but it was a meeting every monday of going there is some data what's the data telling us about supply and demand but kind of how's it feeling are we are we feeling as though now is the right moment to drop a west coast wrapper on an inflatable burger into the market and boris johnson got covid and um the the world felt pretty difficult for a while and it was no 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 and then suddenly i think end of april start of may we had that moment where everybody said yes and everybody was delighted that the other one had said yes and um we we got going and and we did that and and the story was a really really exciting one never seen the sort of sentiment around an ad that we saw around that and that kind of kicked off our journey into covid we we then went through a couple of big mergers so we joined together with a couple of other big global businesses in that time and then spent best part of about 18 months merged with these companies with people we'd never met um, and had only ever met over zoom so yeah it it had it certainly had its ups and downs but it was um and I'm not entirely sure, going back right to the start, saying we didn't know what we were doing at the start. I'm not totally sure we knew what we were doing at the end, but we um, but we got through it and we um, we were in a healthier place come the end, I think. Oh, what, 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 what wonderful insights there, Matt, and particularly around the thought that a lot of these decisions were intuitive as opposed to, as you say, data-driven in any sort of way. And it... It certainly feels, and I want to kind of fast forward into what you're currently doing at the moment, because I think, you know, you've jumped into another major role um, and probably at the coal face of, of a sector now that is going through, let's say, interesting times as the entire economy is as well. In fact, just reading some of the stats around house price, house price movements of late. Um, but what I think would be interesting is to perhaps ask you to reflect on sort of some of the lessons you learned during COVID and perhaps think about and, and maybe give us some advice on how we deal with the current situation that we currently face in, in, in this in this environment. Yeah, I I think I think it, it's a really it's a really great question, Rich, because I think what a lot of what we learned during that period was sort of resilience and focus and actually our ability to <clears throat> to deal with things that that were not the norm and probably fair to say over the course of the last 
27 or eight years, the norm has been quite hard to come by at various points. So um, I think I think part of it was um, was sort of resilience and that trust that we put in each other. Um, I think I've heard it a bit, but the idea that actually we we found out a lot and and I think a lot very positively reinforced around our teams. Uh, the idea of Jacob Rees-Mogg going around and putting notes on people's desks as they weren't sitting at their desks, I think is 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 madness because actually I think we found that people delivered brilliantly when they were given um, that space and that autonomy, but also when they were outside of their normal working environment. So I think we've carried that forward and I think we've carried that trust in people forward, which I think has been really important. But the thing I think we also, I, I strongly believe, is marketing as a business driver through difficult times is is critical and and actually at a time when things do get difficult that's your opportunity to to sort of really get behind that marketing function as a as where the consumer where the customer is is owned but also where you're able to to feel as though you can gain significant advantage um i remember who said it never wasted a good recession but the the idea that that actually this is this is a moment where we can make real difference and actually in markets whereby the opportunities are popping up all over the place and and where i think people are looking for brands and looking for organizations to um to continue to provide them with value to continue to provide them with utility then that's i think the opportunity that we have so I think we we took a lot of that out, and I think we, from a personal level, just a sense that there isn't a playbook, and actually this is about how do you how do you see the situation in front of you, and how do you best deliver in that situation? Yeah, when we're talking about sort of experience as much as anything, you know, how do you how do you form judgment? Um, you mentioned playbook. I'm I'm interested. Let's talk hundred days. First hundred days, obviously, you know, that's a book that's sold well. Um, some people think that you absolutely must have one. Some people say, well, don't you know, write a plan at the end of 100 days. Depends what your boss wants. You know, what was your take on the first 100 days? I think I, with the way I approached it was, <clears throat> was to have some structure in it, whether, whether it was quite 100 days, whether it was 90 days. I think it was more that it was important for me to, to go in and not make early judgments and early decisions actually the the skill in a lot of these circumstances is giving yourself the space to listen and understand really understand what makes a business great where the opportunities are what the people are like what they want what your stakeholders want and that's actually harder than you think it is and there's a degree of discipline that you need to make sure that you don't dive straight in and and make decisions and I think it's it's definitely something I've I've been glad I did I think there was I would say probably half the stuff I thought after the first four weeks I probably then didn't think four weeks later and um had had been proven to be somewhat different so I think that that structure and having that sort of laying that out even in in a reasonably light way I think is, is certainly help me to to embrace the opportunity and embrace the challenge as well I, interesting um again i want to pick on the term playbook because we've sort of used it a little bit 
um, at the moment. And we in this, in the context of sort of almost seven years of uncertainty in that sense, or, or, or currently on almost, you know, the, the uncertainty is the new normal and all the rest of it. Surely there are things that as marketers and we should be leaning on as the growth drivers and perhaps some of the, the fundamental actions we should take when faced with an uncertainty as more a framework as opposed to an absolute. Um, you know, one of the key things I think you guys did tremendously well at Just Eat was the role of brand and how Snoop Dogg was able to then extenuate your brand and, and, and build on that. And and I wonder if in troubled times, there, there are certain levers that we should be thinking about, um, you know, in terms of being that growth driver. I think that's right. I think the the value of brand really came through at that moment. And we, we were we were kind of on a journey anyway going into into covid and we knew there was a need to to do something with our brand i think we there'd been a huge amount of success it was a brand that was very well recognized but with certain key constituencies of of our audience base younger urban consumers uh, the the brand was seen as um the brand was seen as not entirely relevant i remember one anecdotal um bit of feedback from one of the, the customer sessions said something like a bit like a dad at the disco we kind of know he's there but um but we we're not we're not dancing with him and um that was that sort of strikes you and sort of um cuts pretty deep so I, th- I think the importance of brand and the importance of brand in delivering not just sort of within the short-term window but actually creating a platform for long-term growth I think was was really important and we we focused very much on that on snoop was one articulation of that but we did a lot to set ourselves um on the right footing and to use the various different assets that we we engaged with were all set up to to, to slightly re refocus where how we were perceived as a brand and i think that was it was so important because the temptation then the temptation certainly on the upswing is to just go for activation is to just go, go, go. And there were some within our sector who went for price as a differentiator, went for shorter term activation, but actually the longer term value, I believe always comes in, in that investment in your brand and how you're, how you engage with your consumer base. Um, the other thing you're blessed with um, talking about sort of frameworks is, is, is data, tons of it, million data points a day um, we were taking on. And data is, is only as valuable as your ability to use it. And, and I think we really came, came forward in trying to make sure that we didn't over-engineer things, but we thought about how, what we wanted, how we wanted to present things to people, how we wanted to make sure that we improved the consumer experience and then how do we use the data that we had to, to do just that? So to build customer experiences that they loved um, and help them through their journey. Um, for those, uh, unlike Mark, who have a lot of choice in their area, it's about, it was all about actually how do we surface that in the right way and how do we show people if there's three, four, five hundred restaurants in their area, the things that they'll genuinely like and love. So... I think that combination of brand and then the smart use of data to create really exciting and interesting experiences for consumers were the kind of two big pillars that we that we focused on. Yeah, very very good. Um, we'll come back to uh, we'll come back to marketing 
um, shortly. But let's take a bit of a detour and understand a bit about, about you, Matt. So um, can you tell us a little bit about what, what growing up was like and what some of the moments that maybe helped shape you? Yeah, I, I, growing up was was great, actually. I, I grew up in pretty much out in the countryside. You had to walk a long way to get a bus and um, not much was going on. I think it's fair to say. I think sort of rural Hampshire in the um, in the 1990s, um, it, it wasn't, uh, yeah, well, it, it wasn't the sort of rock and roll of, um, of central London and central Manchester, I would argue. Um, uh, but but it was a it was a great opportunity to to do things that help you to sort of shape yourself and to shape what you were going to be. Some of that consciously, some of that definitely unconsciously. Um, it's great parents. Dad was an engineer. Mum was a teacher. Um, both worked incredibly hard. Both could have gave that. I, I guess blueprint for actually grafting and, and working hard to achieve things and I think that was really important to me and and again I think I probably only realized that after the event rather than during the event but um it's played a lot of sport sort of found I think the importance of leadership within that as well so I think the the idea that whether that came through sort of the more structured stuff through team sport through um uh, through sort of driving success in that and bringing together teams they were they were a lot of the things that again I, I would hate to say that these are things where I was sitting there thinking this will shape how I work as a marketing leader in 20 years time but actually you look back on some of those lessons and you look back on those moments and the behaviors that you you develop during that time to to help to kind of shape when they and they do shape how how you behave now and I think <clears throat> it's interesting there's still I go home and my I went back home a few weeks ago and my friends are plasterers and builders and all sorts of things. They have no idea what marketing is. They ask, they tell me about their cold pizza. They ask me about Snoop. Um, and then they get on with talking about what's going on in their lives. So actually the um, it, it's great to go back and to come out of that sort of marketing bubble sometimes and realize how do we, it kind of goes back to some of the things that that we've talked about before, which is actually when you talk about marketing, it's a pretty narrow lens through which people see it. And, and you definitely see that when you go back and, and sort of get out, I think get out of London a little bit and understand what your, what your friends think you actually do for a living, which is somewhat removed from what it is. You mean there's actually a real world outside of marketing? I know, I know it's impossible to believe, Richie, but it's, um, yeah, they, they like to bring bring me back down to earth pretty quickly yeah. at every yeah, opportunity. I'll tell you what, that's what I, I love about old friends, right? It's just, no matter how how much of the high horse all of us can get on, it's it's great back down to earth whenever you get back there, you know? It's, it is a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And actually, I as I go through my own life, I, um, I, I realise how much I value that as well, you know, just being able to rely on those old buds that, that you've had in the past. So I can imagine. It but man, perspective. I, yeah. Absolutely. God, absolutely. But I have to ask, was it always being your big ambition to uh, to work for a dating uh, product? Well, yeah, that's certainly one that, uh, <laughs> that I <laughs> fell into. I, I think... Is, it, is there a backstory about your own relationships? I don't know. Well, no, you, I, <laughs> I wish I, I should have sort of manufactured something which which got me to got me to the point which where it was. But... It was a, it was one that I kind of 
to say I hit the ground running would be an understatement. So I'd, I'd worked for this startup, VC-backed startup that, that Mark talked about, and it was great. We'd done lots and lots of fun stuff. We'd done everything from um, doing the bank run all the way through to going through pitching and funding rounds and all sorts of stuff. So we so lots and lots of great experiences. But the one thing I really sort of found was I was doing more and more digital marketing and starting in the very early stages. So it was quite a long time ago, but really found a passion for that and found a job in um, in a company called Friends United, which is really a, a company that ages people a little bit as to whether they used it and whether they um, whether they remember it to a certain extent. But so it was, it, anyway, it was, it was a big um, it's a social, with the first social network before Facebook, before various others, certainly in this country. And what they've done is they used this audience to create then offshoot businesses, um, family history, shopping, dating, basically leveraging audience to create sort of new services. And dating was one of them. And I joined and was told, look, there's somebody who's going to do a handover period with you. Actually, she's going to have to have a baby, but she's not going off for two or three months. So you'll have plenty of handover time. So it's great. Four days later, I got a phone call to say um, she's having a baby. <laughs> and, and I was running a dating site. And that was... Um, a, a terrifying I think is definitely definitely the right word and I think I had to go to Manchester on the Monday of the next week to go and present to to Guardian Media Group how we could how we could do their white label dating solution and what the what the way uh, what value we could add what was going on here I'd not worked in a digital business before and I'd not worked in a dating business before and so the deep end is something that Actually, I think it's a great thing to do for people to give them the opportunity to go and own something, to get them out of their comfort zone and to get them kind of thinking about how you do things and solving problems. And I think that's it's, a, it's always a really positive thing to do. This is at the extreme end of that, I would say, Richie. So, it, um, but it was, I survived it. I survived the first meeting. We somehow won the business um uh, to this day I'm not entirely sure how we did but um but then kind of went on and it was it was brilliant it was great fun we we did you, you got you used to get all these various different stories coming back of marriages and um these connections and this is sort of this is before dating really kicked off it was it was us and match.com were pretty much the only two in the market and we used to do my, I think my favourite thing was we did the dating services for the Guardian and we did the dating services for the Sun, and they both had the same back end database. So, effectively, what Guardian readers didn't know was that they were dating Sun readers. Um, Brilliant! It was quite quite whether they ever told each other that on the date or not. Opposites not. attract, Matt. You know that's how exactly. it works. Exactly. You see? It, it brought people together in brilliant <laughs> ways, but it was. That that was a that that whole sector was a brilliant grounding for me. It was sort of I, I was learning about digital market, about PPC, um, working with Google, working with um, with were latterly bought by ITV. So all of a sudden, working with TV advertising, working across a whole number of things. So it was it was a, an amazing experience for a whole number of different reasons. Amazing. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right. Some people won't have even heard of Friends United. So Richie's you know, 10 years younger than me. So I've heard of Friends United. But, but it was, 
But it was the forerunner to everything we know about swiping left and swiping right. Again, Richie and I happily married, so that's not a thing for us. But but you know, it's it was a it was absolutely a forerunner. And um, very interesting. I'm sure that four days was quite a quite a thing in terms of getting ready for Guardian Media Group. Um, and I'm going to link that to also. Obviously, you've worked in a VC-backed environment. You've worked in, in list. You've worked in different ownership structures. What have you learned through the years about influencing the board? I I think it's. It's so important and it's also really important understanding what what is going to be the critical piece of information for for that for those board members or for those stakeholders. I think having gone through different ownership models, but even within those different ownership models, different life stages within those. So very established PLC um, leadership groups sort of early stage PLC leadership groups who are going more quarter to quarter, um, those that are sort of took on a, on a longer term journey. I think there's that, even in that space, you learn a lot. But I think increasingly, and part of the reason that that moving to right move appealed to me was marketing having that influence and that voice um, at the top table became, it, it just, it's it reinforced to me the importance of it because I think, at, at our work at, at its worst marketing is perceived as the sort of the end part of the journey the the coloring in team the the advertising team the the guys who will will do the planning and you do and you tell people about it um but i think i learned from early on that we've got a huge role to play in business and in growing business and in playing a central role in how businesses think and how businesses are run and i think it just every single time you're able to bring to to that leadership group, to that board, that insight of how our customers are, are behaving, how our customers are feeling, how we can then set ourselves out in such a way and build our strategy around that and around those needs and and that sentiment that became really important. And that was how I think I learned that tying back to that and tying back to that insight was what gave real validity coming in with a subjective asking for a subjective view on a piece of marketing was was never a particularly pleasant experience but actually tying it to what this is what we want to do this is why we want to do it and this is the this is how this will fundamentally drive forward the business i think i learned that as a really important skill because you you will know mark i think you, everybody has a view on marketing. Nobody ever turned around to the CFO and said, um, I've been having a think about you know, your statutory accounts and I was wondering whether you might want to try this. Um, whereas it's certainly a piece of feedback that that from all corners comes to the marketing team. Um, but I think if, we've, if we're thinking more strategically and we're thinking with the customer and we are the representative of the customer around that table, then that's where we move ourselves away from that sort of subjective role around the table and move ourselves into a much more strategic role. So uh, some of that I learned by doing, some of that I learned by mistakes. Um, but actually, I think that's where we've got a, a really fundamental role to play, particularly in difficult times, going back to what we were talking about before. This, this is, we have the opportunity to be a real driving force within business and and i think that will i hope that will play out over the next couple of years okay awesome 
I'm gonna I'm gonna take you uh, from the corporate boardroom into the the boardroom of your home, <laughs> um, and 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 more so around um, how do you explain to your kids what you do, and um, would you recommend them to go into marketing as a career? How do I explain to them what I do? I think I think they've almost learnt by repetition, um, by which I mean my daughter would point out to me every orange just eat sign in a um in a restaurant window um and would sing to me did somebody say just eat um every single time she heard it on the radio um and actually the what where she got to was she slightly got to the idea that I put every single sign in every single window um which was she's kind of lovely but um, but actually, she got to this idea, which I think is a lovely idea, that there it's a creative place. It's a place whereby you're doing something that lots and lots of people are seeing and engaging with. And and actually, they, if you go with my daughter six and they have various different things going on in their school where parents will come in. And, and actually, it's the lovely thing about being in marketing is teachers are keener for you to come in than the um than the asset managers to come in or the um or or the other people working in um in in the big consultancy just because you, you've got something interesting to talk about something that is accessible and and so I think she's kind of learned to a certain extent her own version of what marketing is and it's um it, to her I think it's that that big platform whereby um you're talking about your brand and where you're talking about what your business is and what your business does and it gives me a lovely platform to sort of talk to her about um everything else that is involved she doesn't really listen you can see you turn around in the car on the way to school and I'm not entirely sure it's all going in but um in answer to your second question would I encourage her to get into I I think it's it's something that I didn't I didn't sort of at six years old at 10 years old at 16 years old think I really, really want to be in marketing. I think I had a rough idea when I was when I was tr trying to work out what I was going to do at university. I think I thought I wanted to do business. And then I started to go through the various different prospectuses. And I realized that the bit of every prospectus for a business studies course that I liked was the marketing bit. Um, and the bit that I wasn't quite so keen on was the accountancy bit, which kind of has been one I've had to learn over the courses we've um as I've gone through my career, but um, I think I kind of got there by doing my own learning and my own research. So if she gets there, I, I'll be, I'll love it. I'll be very supportive. I'll give her advice. She doesn't want to hear. And I'll be the, um, I'll be the one saying in my day, this is what we did. Um, but, but yeah, it's certainly not something I would encourage her away from. Well, um, if my daughter's listening, Harriet, she's just starting her career in marketing. And it's such a slightly different dynamic, which is when you're digital, mobile, social first, she's, she's teaching me a thing or two. Um, so, yeah, so watch out for that. Anyway, um, you've, you've, had a, you've had a great career and there's plenty more to come, Matt. Um, and you've talked about some of, the, some of the slightly crunch moments and some of the good times. But, we all, of course, we all learn through hang-ups and bang-ups and failures. So... Uh, what, what have been some of the stickier moments that have taught you a thing or two? 
there's been a few (laughs) there's definitely been a few um and I think one of them that comes immediately to mind we it was it was a reasonably small campaign we did with my my first or second week as Just Eat marketing director and it was Women's World Cup and we we it was a little campaign that we'd done which and this this sort of ages it a little bit but the if you remember the octopus that was choosing the various scores for various different games, you may not, it was a sort of a bit of a gimmick that one of the newspapers did. And we did a sort of a, a small version of that where Cap was going and doing these things. It was all very lightweight and it was all kind of fun, but it was the first thing I was doing um, coming into the new role. And we are super focused on it, super focused on that what's happening in this bit, what's happening here, little parts of the edit, well, where are we? What I hadn't really thought about was that this was a very England-focused campaign and that the first game of the tournament was England versus Scotland. Um, and what I didn't, <laughs> hadn't really struck me was that this wouldn't be enormously popular in Scotland, as it proved. Um, and we, we went live with it um, and... All of a sudden, it started to bubble up. My wife was away. I was looking after my daughter, who was then two, I think. And I spent the entire, uh, the whole of my Sunday on the phone to our corporate comms team and various people trying to also look after a two-year-old, trying to hold back an impending media. So I was being tweeted by MSPs. I got into the print version of the Daily Record, um, Just Eat hate Scotland basically was the um, was the long and the short of um the long and the short of it a, a few uh, death threats added in there to, for good measure uh but I think what I learned from it was I was so I was so intent on getting it right and impressing with the first thing I did that at no point did I take a step back and look at it in the whole and say of course this is ridiculous of course this is a moment of high passion and high um, intensity and I'm a big football fan I mean, it, to this day the fact that I didn't step back from it is interesting but it, it really has given me a perspective which is you're in when you move into more senior roles the value you add isn't in the detail the value you add isn't in sort of coming in with a screwdriver and trying to change little bits around the edges. It's having the broader perspective and being able to step back and being able to see the world and being able to see the broader context and maybe being able to see that you might be about to upset Scotland. So um, that I think, I think that was, that was certainly one whereby the, the a more public spotlight was shone on, on my mistake, I would say. Just, just to oh. come in, um, Richie's half Scottish. I was born in Glasgow. We forgive you. It's okay. <laughs> this, this is the cathartic moment that I need. Yeah, you. you can let it go now. But, but <laughs> brilliant example. So, so tangible about um, what the issue was, and and very specifically what you've learned. And um, you know, not to dwell on it, but you know, we've never had anybody before come on and say they got death threats. So, um, <laughs> all, all power to you. Sorry, Richie, back to you. Well, I tell you. For anyone listening in who's new into a role and thinking, oh gosh, you know, first couple of weeks, well, you know, you may not be able to upset a country. So there you go. Yeah. But hey, man, I'm, I'm big shoes to fill. Big shoes. But I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you get to see the light side of it. And actually the key lessons around 
what you've described as the bigger picture and perspective over the nuts and bolts in, in a senior role is, is, is so valid and, and, and helpful and useful to all those probably transitioning across into, into new roles. Um, I do want to ask a slight technical question because you, you picked up on it and you talked about your daughter and she, you know, the, the jingle, you know, did somebody say just eat you know, and all the rest of it. But we hear a lot, you know, clearly from the gurus of our industry around distinct brand assets. And in fact, if you look at all the studies, you hear that um, sonic sounds um, is, is perhaps one of the most effective ways um, of, of doing so. And I just wanted to get your take on the role that sonic um, actually played and perhaps the impact that you would have seen on the back of actually creating your own sonic sound for Just Eat? I think it, it's played a huge part. And I think if we, we, we spent a lot of time diagnosing our distinct assets and understanding where we were deriving real value from our whole set, whether that be our brand marks, whether that be sonics, whether that be any number of those sort of um, those key assets. And, and the sonic just, I think when we did the last tests we did, we were, it was certainly up there with McDonald's as the most in that space of, of most recognized sort of brand assets and Sonics. And it, and actually it cut through in a way that I think, I think had people had stepped away from it to a certain extent. I think there was a degree to which sort of DR radio was the home of the, um, the Sonic for, for a while. And actually I think it's made a bit of a resurgence. And part of that is, is I, I think just driving that cut through in, in an increasingly busy space, lots of, lots of diverse channels, different messages sort of fight for attention, actually that ability to, to get that cut through and, and actually holding on to that. And it's something that, that we really valued. And we used to have lots and lots of conversations as we were looking to evolve the brand. We talked earlier on about the fact we, went through a merger and actually the Just Eat business got a lot bigger, um, went from being 13 markets to being 23 markets. Um, and actually, how do you start to scale those brand assets and how do you start to actually, can you hold on to them? Is this is this that works so well in the UK relevant in Poland or relevant in, in Amsterdam and relevant in Berlin or wherever, wherever it might be? And I think that we found was really important we, we wanted this the university universality such a word exists um of our assets we wanted consistency in what we did across our business um we didn't want to lose what we had in the uk but we also wanted to make sure that we were relevant um, as we as we built the business and lots of really great work went into to doing that and to building that it can be it's a little bit hard i think if you if you look on youtube there's there's some really great content around the fact that our brand is menu log in australia so um the snoop dog menu log advert and did somebody say menu log trips off the tongue slightly less than um did somebody say just eat but but it became something that that was central to our brand and central to how we articulated that brand so yeah it's they're not easy to come by um, and actually so much more work goes into developing them than, than one might assume. But, but once you've got them, they're, they're gold dust. Mm. Um, such rich learnings. And as you say, Richie, it's become you know, distinctive brand assets. The Ambro Bass Institute work has really come to the fore. Um, so I think probably, I think we're nearly out of time now, Matt. So probably last question, we've been going 40 minutes. So um yeah, unfortunately, the time has come, but the, you've had such a rich and varied career. 
uh, and so many learnings. And this a lot of the point of this podcast is to help people at the early days of their careers figure it all out. So yeah, the, the question would be, what, what advice would you give? It, it could have been to you when you were younger or your six-year-old daughter in years to come if she chooses marketing. But what advice would you give to the next generation? Um, I, I think that the biggest piece of advice, I think, well, I, I can two pieces of advice, one of which is there isn't a straight line progression through this. It's my background has gone all over the place from, as you say, startups, VC back. Um, some more almost general management type marketing roles then into sort of where we are now so don't worry that you're not you don't feel as though you're on that career sort of beltway of um, one to the next to the next which eventually leads you to to the role you want at the end so I think don't don't feel as though you need to plan in a linear fashion do do what you feel excited about and passionate about at the time and it'll get you there um I think the the biggest thing I was ever told, and it always felt quite trite to me, was be yourself. And that, it, and I always sort of thought, well, yeah, it's fine to say, but actually, in reality, you've got to you've got to be the person you that, that inhibits that role, and you've got to be the person that, that's there and is doing doing that job. And that person is very different from the person who's over there. And I remember being told by another boss, you're you've got to be you're too nice. You've got to be you got to be tougher. You got to be nice. People won't respect you unless you're unless you're tough and give them a um, and make sure they know who's boss. I remember doing it for about a month and being absolutely awful at it. And it was anybody that worked for me at the time will remember that it was it was it was pretty pretty embarrassing. I would say because it just was it wasn't me. It wasn't the way in which I worked. It wasn't the way in which I got the best out of people. It wasn't the way I got the best out of myself. And and I think I kind of went back to that piece of advice that 10 years before I thought was a bit sort of trite and cliched um, and actually realised that no, it's not. It, it's, you are going to do the very best job you can by being true to the personality you are. You've got to learn, you've got to build on your knowledge, you've got to build on your approach and you've got to make sure that you build that toolkit that's going to help you to be successful. But the heart of it's got to be your you being your true self and I think hopefully that's something that that gives you the best chance of being successful very good yeah what a wonderful way to finish on really and and it shines through quite frankly you know that 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 ability to uh, just to, to be you but actually what you bring then is that combination of of true expertise into this into the industry and so you're absolutely a shining light in our industry, and and I really want to thank you for your for your time today. Um, it's been a wonderful journey, a meandering one, um, but full of insight. I think is is my sum of it, and it just goes to show that actually when you're when you're in role, that technical marketing expertise really shines through. But combined with a humility um, and sense of compassion for for team uh, and being a, and being a great leader. So, thank you for your time, Matt. I will pass over to Mark for some of your finishing reflections. Yeah, um, good job, Richie. Thank, thanks, Matt. Yeah, I mean, it's been a really interesting, the Snoop Dogg, I mean, finding out a little bit about that and uh, bringing that to life and also the Scotland campaign. So, you know, you've had some, you've had some interesting stuff go on and, you know, being in really in the social media world before the social media world was a thing with Friends United. So you've had a, a, a rich and varied career. You've worked in different industries and types of businesses. Um but at the same time, you know, you've, you've demonstrated that grafting is a thing. 
Um, I'd have loved to hear more about what you learned from leadership in sport. Obviously, football is one of your, your sports, but um, clearly there's some foundations and through your upbringing that has led to your success. Um, very interested to hear about the ways you've had to influence the board. That's such an important dynamic for any aspiring marketer. And then um, perhaps I'm uh, my big takeout, actually, is when we talked about the pandemic and I hadn't really appreciated the nuances that it wasn't all that straightforward because everyone thinks, oh, amazing, massive growth. But there were ups and downs. And very specifically, you talked about the role of judgment and instinct. And that came through again in the Scotland example. You were big learning around stepping back and giving perspective. So I think perhaps the slightly unfortunate takeout for some people is that there's no substitute for experience and learning through failure to develop that instinct and that judgment. Because for all the playbooks in the world, it never quite goes to plan. Uh, so for those insights, Matt, I'd love to say uh, thank you on behalf of everybody that's listening. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.